Is once saved, always saved a legitimate thing? How about falling from grace? What does it mean to fall from grace? Those are the two topics today on The Unsunday Show. You're listening to The Unsunday Show. Leaving behind religious obligation to find a more authentic expression of Christ in us, this is the Unsunday Show. Hey friends, Mikey Adams here with the Unsunday Show. I am in my new digs here. We're in a temporary spot. We've been moving. And for us, relocating and moving is a bit of a process. And I've had all of my recording equipment in storage because we had to stage our house. And I just got it out of storage. So it's been a few weeks that um, that's been going on. So I haven't been able to record, haven't been able to do much of anything until now. And now I've got it back out. It's unboxed. I've got it set up. I'm in a temporary location. It's not as sound-treated as my previous location, and so you might hear a little bit of road noise in the background. You might hear an occasional car come by. I don't know. But it's good to be back behind the microphone. Hey, in this episode, a friend of mine reached out to me recently and asked me about once saved, always saved. You know, do I believe once saved, always saved? And what does that mean? And how come, this person asked me, how come we hear such a different message in church? Well, we're going to talk about that. That's going to be the first part of what we're going to talk about right now on the Unsunday Show. The message that we often get from organized religion or institutional Christianity is that you're not quite enough, that somehow the sacrifice of Jesus isn't quite enough, but you need to be practicing spiritual disciplines, you need to be doing X, Y, and Z, you need to be attending this service and this service. There's more to do. In that environment, the the gospel is presented as free. Yeah, the message of Christ is free. Salvation is free. But once you get in the door, so to speak, then there's stuff to do. Then things morph. Then things change. At least that's been my experience and the experience of those that, that are in my life is simply that the message does morph. It does change. And the reason for that, or at least part of the reason for that, is because in organized religion or institutional religion, institutional Christianity, however we want to label that, in order for that system to survive, you need to stay on the line. You need to stay hooked in because that system depends on you and I to keep it alive financially and to have warm bodies present and, you know, to be able to to jump through or to attempt to jump through all of the hoops that they tell you that you have to jump through in order to keep the system viable. And so the message morphs a little bit. The message morphs just enough sometimes to make us feel guilty, to give us false guilt, to make us feel ashamed if we're not doing enough in order to keep us there, in order to keep us hooked, in order to keep us on the line so that the system continues to thrive. And part of the message that we often hear is that the idea of once saved, always saved is somehow a myth that that isn't true because once you get into the faith, once you come into the faith, once you know Jesus, there's certain works that you have to do in order to keep yourself there, in order to 
keep earning God's grace. It's almost as though we need God's grace initially at the beginning quite a bit, but the goal is to become independent of Jesus somehow, and that somehow that makes God happier with us. But God's never been satisfied with behavior modification. Remember when those disciples, not Jesus' disciples, but just some religious disciples came to Jesus in the Gospels and said, what do we have to do to do the work of God, to do the works of God? You know, they had their notepads out, they had their iPads out, whatever they were using, and they were ready to take notes. And they came to Jesus and they said, what do we have to do to do the works of God? And his answer was a beautiful letdown for them, because his answer was simply believe. This is the work of God, that you believe on the one that he has sent. That's the work of God. Righteousness, we know because of what Paul wrote, righteousness is apart from the law. We are made righteous, we are made pure and holy apart from works, apart from any effort, any effort at all. This is why in Ephesians 2, Paul said that the grace that we receive is a gift. It's a gift because it's not something we can work for. It's not something we can do. In order to understand the completeness of our salvation and the fact that, yes, once saved, we are always saved, we need to kind of rework our view of the gospel, our view of the good news, of what it means to be a part of the ecclesia of God's family. We need to kind of re-massage that because religion has given us a watered-down version of it. And we're so used to hearing that, we don't know what the true version is sometimes. And so we need to be careful. We need to slow down a little bit and kind of take spiritual inventory of what happened on the cross and what happened with the resurrection and what that means for us today when we believe. Because believer, when you came to Christ, all of your sins were forgiven. All of them. Past sins, present sins, future sins. Everything's been forgiven. Remember that in passages like Hebrews 10, where the writer of Hebrews is quoting Jeremiah 31, talking about this new covenant that you and I are under. And part of that promise of the new covenant in Jeremiah 31 is where God himself says, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Their sins and their lawless acts I will remember no more. But as part of our misunderstanding or our misrepresentation of the of the cross and of what was done there at the cross or on the cross when our sins were forgiven, is we tend to forget this and we become sin-centric. We become sin police in one another's lives and, and we use things like spiritual disciplines and accountability groups in order to kind of purge this sin that's among us somehow. And our focus, our attention, or our eyes get drawn off of Jesus onto our own spiritual performance. And it's in that environment that someone will say, well, you can't be once saved, always saved, because if you're not doing the things that you're supposed to be doing, how can God be happy with you? And we're so sin-focused that we lose sight of the gospel. We lose sight of the fact that on the cross, all of our sins were forgiven that our sins have been wiped away from us as far as the East is from the West, and God remembers them no more. You and I remember them, but God doesn't remember them. He's not holding us accountable for those things anymore. 
And that's liberating news. That's really good news because that means that by the cross, my sins have been completely forgiven and I'm completely free. I'm completely set free from sin. And then when we couple that with the resurrection, not only are we free from sin, but we've been given this amazing new life, this amazing new heart in Jesus. Because he lives, we live. And the Spirit of Christ lives within us, and that's our hope of glory. So it's kind of a double whammy. You've got, you've got the forgiveness of sins being poured out at the cross, and then when Jesus raised from the dead, when he rose from the dead, I guess I should use proper grammar, when he rose from the dead, his resurrection becomes our resurrection. And so we died with him, we died to sin, we died to the power of sin with his death, and then we join him in his resurrection, and we're raised into newness of life. Or as scripture puts it, he was raised for our justification. The problem is, over the countless centuries, that has been so watered down and replaced with some kind of a a pseudo-works righteousness, which takes on a zillion different forms. But whatever form it takes in, as soon as we as soon as we drop a little bit of that works die into the pool of grace, we contaminate grace. And grace is no longer grace. Grace becomes works. And it's important to understand that we need to keep grace pure. We need to let grace be grace. That you and I were brought into the kingdom, Christian, apart from anything that we did. And we're kept in the kingdom apart from anything we're doing or anything we're neglecting to do. That has nothing to do with it. Your position in Christ has nothing to do with you. The Christian life isn't about the life of the Christian. The Christian life is about the resurrected life of Jesus. It's about our forgiveness of sins that was secured on the cross. It's about our being made holy, as the writer of Hebrews said in in Hebrews 10, that we have been made holy. And being made holy simply means to be set apart. It means to be sanctified. In Christ, God has set us apart. He's made us new people. He's removed that heart of stone, and he's replaced it with a heart of flesh. And the Holy Spirit is pleased to reside in you. That's important, because the Spirit of Christ is in you. As one author likes to say, he cleaned house, and he moved in. I like that. That's a great analogy. That's exactly what the Holy Spirit did. He cleaned house, and he moved in. And Christian, you are clean, and there's never a day when you wake up unclean. When you go to bed tonight and your and your head hits the pillow and you fall asleep, you are righteous in Jesus. When you wake up in the morning, there's no prep work you have to do. You woke up righteous. You woke up pure. You woke up holy because of the cross and the resurrection. So let me take you to a verse here in Hebrews chapter 10. I've alluded to this chapter a couple of times already in this episode. But let's do a little bit of reading here. One of the reasons that I love the book of Hebrews so much is that it talks about the cross so much. It talks about the new covenant so much. This is a New Testament letter that is all about the new covenant. If you want to get immersed in the new covenant, read Hebrews and reread Hebrews and go slow with it and contemplate it and meditate on it and see what the Holy Spirit does with it in your life. But in verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 10, the writer says this, For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Let me read it again. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever 
those who are being made holy. What does that mean? Well, that means that by the cross, by his one sacrifice on the cross all those years ago, that that sacrifice is sufficient to make you perfect. By being made perfect, we're talking about the forgiveness of sins. And when we talk about the forgiveness of sins, according to what we just read here in this passage in Hebrews, that our forgiveness of sins or our being made perfect lasts forever. He has made you and I perfect forever. Not for 10 months, not until we mess up and sin again, because remember, our sins have been removed as far from us as the East is from the West. And so our perfection, because of the cross, lasts forever. There's never going to be a time, ever, either in this life or in the next life, when you being made perfect forever by the one sacrifice of Jesus stops being true. It's never going to stop being true. Because by that one sacrifice, and Jesus isn't dying over and over again, he died one time for sins. And that death that he died resulted in you being made perfect, your sins being forgiven forever. It can't be undone. It won't be undone. He's not going to come and die for you a second or third time. He died once, and as he said on the cross, it is finished. And so those who are coming to Christ are being made perfect forever by that one sacrifice. Or as John the baptizer put it, when Jesus came to him to be baptized, and John the baptizer said, look, the Lamb of God, the one taking away the sins of the world. That's what his death did, and it's not a temporary thing. It's nothing that you can pull yourself out of. It's nothing that you have the ability to to undo or to tarnish in any way. You'll remember that in Romans chapter 8, and I'm thinking of verse 33 and 34, where Paul said, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? No one will. Because Christ lives. Christ is our advocate. His resurrected life becomes my resurrected life, and that never stops. That never goes away. Jesus, who died, died a perfect sacrifice so that you and I could live in him forever. That's how much he loves us. That's how much he cares for us. If the idea that I can pull myself out of my own salvation, if once saved, always saved, isn't true, then all the promises that state the contrary are false. This promise here in Hebrews 10, and again repeated in a in different way here in, in Romans 8, that tells us that our relationship with Jesus is perfect and eternal, and it's never going to die, those promises all crumble to the ground when religion comes in and says, oh, wait a minute. There's stuff you need to be doing. There's stuff you need to be adding to to this because that isn't really sufficient. You need to be more disciplined in praying. You need to be reading different things and you need to be reading more of those different things. You need to be meeting with people and you know, you need to be doing all this kind of stuff and you have to of course do it the way that the institution sanctions that it be done. It's got to be on this day or this day or this night or this night with this group of people and with the leaders that we select and 
you know, if you get into that little routine, then yeah, maybe, you know, we can uh, kind of promote you in the system at some point. But our justification is independent of any of that. The forgiveness of sins that we have is independent of any of that. Remember what I said near the beginning, that religion wants to reel you in. Religion wants to, wants to hook you, wants to get you on the line. It's like a fishing analogy. It wants to get you hooked. And once it gets you hooked, it's going to do everything it can do to keep you hooked. But that's not the gospel, because in the gospel, we've been set free. There's no command to submit yourself to some kind of religious institution in the New Covenant Scriptures. It isn't there. Jesus died to release us from religion, not to pour us back into a a new brand of it. He died to set us free from sin. He died to set us free from slavery to sin. He died and rose again to give us newness of life and a new heart, a new heart that desires the things that he desires. And it's that same God who gave so much to secure you, who gave so much to save you, who gave so much to bring you into his kingdom. It's that same God who is going to keep you. You are kept in the love of God, not by your own ability, but by his. And the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and is keeping you. And it's that same spirit of Christ that is going to present you faultless before the throne. Remember that under the old covenant, we're told in Hebrews chapter 8 that God found fault with the people. Why did he find fault with the people? Because the people agreed to keep the terms of the covenant and immediately broke it. And the, the entire history is one of breaking it over and over and over again. But in the new covenant, you and I aren't involved in that. The new covenant is God making a covenant with himself, and we are the beneficiaries of it. Because he could swear by no greater, we're told in the book of Hebrews, he swore an oath by himself in his own name. And that oath is the oath of the new covenant, where because of of Jesus' death on the cross, he has perfected you and me forever. Another scheme that organized religion likes to try and pull on us, of course they do this all the time, is they take verses out of context. They ignore the verse, and they'll even take part of a verse, and they'll just kind of throw it at us. They'll use it as a proof text in order to convince us of their view on something. But they're really skilled at ignoring context. And the idea of falling from grace is no different. It's a verse taken completely out of context. And religion will tell us more often than not That fallen from grace means that you're not working hard enough. It means you're not doing the religious things that you're supposed to be doing in the sanctioned way, or you're not doing them at all. And so there's this to-do list that has to be done, and it's up to you to do it. And if you're not doing it, if you don't do it and you don't do it the right way, then you've fallen from grace. It's evidence that you're not really saved. It's evidence that you're just kind of playing a game or being a phony all along in your journey here. And, and it's, it's your performance that's being judged and that's being used as a litmus test for whether or not you know Jesus. But listen, knowing Jesus has nothing to do with your performance. You remember at the end of chapter 5 of the uh, book of Matthew, there on the Sermon on the Mount, you know, we call it a sermon. It wasn't a sermon. It was Jesus doing some teaching. But anyway, I digress. There at the end of chapter 5, Jesus dropped a bomb 
on those old covenant Jews that he was talking to, and he said, be perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. Wow. Okay, so here's a group of people under the law who have to obey the law in order to be justified, in order to be right with God. There was this obedience that had to happen to the law, which they weren't doing. Because remember, a few minutes ago, I said, you know, God found fault with the people because they said they would do it and they couldn't keep it. And it's to that group who knew their failure, who had to experience or had to be experiencing the the condemnation of the fact that they weren't pulling it off. It's to that group of people that Jesus said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Wow, what a deal. I mean, that had to leave people speechless. But you know what? Here's the good news. And the good news isn't a part of the old covenant. The good news is the new covenant. The good news is the cross, as we read a moment ago, because by one sacrifice, he has made you perfect. He did it. Has nothing to do with you and I. He did it. By one sacrifice, he made you perfect. And so, Matthew, that verse in Matthew 5, finds its fulfillment in the cross. When Jesus said in Matthew 5, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, he died on a cross to make you perfect perfect forever. Has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with me. And since God requires perfection and not progress, he gave us a substitute, not a goal. And our substitute, Jesus, pulled it off for us. And we get to come to him by faith. This is the work of God, remember, that you believe on the one whom God has sent. And that's enough. That's all. That's it. There's nothing else to be done. But again, religion will come to us and say, well, if you're not working hard enough, if you're not doing it the right way, it's evidence that you've fallen from grace. Or they'll say that it's because of sin, that if you're, if you seem to be stuck in sin or you're always battling with sin and you don't seem to be progressing and maturing in the way that we think you should progress and mature, then it's because of that sin or because of that moral failure that you have fallen from grace. But what about this verse that says we've fallen from grace? Let's look at the context. This thing is actually, it actually sits in Galatians chapter 5. And remember in the book of Galatians, Paul is talking about those who had come into the body of Christ there in the different uh, assemblies in Galatia. And we're teaching that, yeah, Jesus is good, but you have to be circumcised and keep the law too. And so that that whole heresy was going around, you know, false teaching was going around. And part of the reason that Paul wrote Galatians was to confront that idea and to show that it was false. And so in Galatians chapter 5, I'm going to pick it up in verse 1, where Paul says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Do you see the context? The context of falling away from grace is that you're trying to be justified by what you do. You're trying to be justified by law-keeping. 
You're trying to be justified by works instead of faith. You're trying to be justified by what you do. That's the context. The context isn't moral failure. The context isn't that you're not doing enough. The context is that you're trying to do things that will lead to your justification at the expense of belief. In other words, you're working for your salvation. You're working to gain favor with God instead of understanding that the works of God are simply to believe. What must we do to do the works of God? Believe. That's it. It is finished. And so we've got it backwards. When we hear that, you know, falling from grace involves not doing enough, that's exactly the opposite. Falling from grace means you're doing too much. It means simply that we're trying to be justified by what we do instead of by faith alone. And that's a lie. You're never going to pull that off. In verse 6 of this same chapter in Galatians 5, Paul said, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts, the only thing that counts, is faith expressing itself through love. But yeah, sometimes we get all tangled up and, you know, kind of get ourselves into a spiritual wedgie, as it were, and we lose sight. We lose sight of the cross. We lose, we lose our focus. And we start to believe the messages that we hear around us that really this thing depends more on me. Yeah, I got into the, I got into God's family by faith, but now it's up to me to work hard in order to stay there. That's a lie. That's a lie because by one sacrifice, he's made you perfect forever. And when we forget that and we start working for bonus points with God, that's the point where we've fallen away from grace as a principle. doesn't mean we can't get back to it. It doesn't mean we can't refocus. It doesn't mean we can't acknowledge that and return to living by faith alone. But that's the context. The context has nothing to do with you working harder in some kind of a religious system. The context is coming out of working harder in a religious system and simply believe. So, hey, that's all I got for you in this episode. I wanted to talk about those two things. I appreciate you tuning in. It's good to be back. It's good to have all my recording equipment back out again and to be able to do this. I hope the background noises weren't too noisy. I heard a few planes. I hear one right now. I heard a few cars going by. Again, we're in a temporary setting here. We'll be here probably 10 to 12 months. And so, uh, hopefully, I'll be able to get back on track regularly with the Sunday show. So thanks for joining me, and until next time, y'all take care. Thank you for joining us on the Unsunday Show. To be a part of this ongoing conversation, visit us online at unsunday.com.